Hello listeners, Jess here, jumping in before the episode begins to first of all apologise for our super long absence. Adobe Audition got the better of me when editing this episode in particular and it took me, I guess, a year and a half to figure out how to edit this one up. And secondly, to let you know that this is now an archival episode, which Sarah and I recorded back in December of 2021. Wow. So you may want to keep that in mind with some of the stuff that we're discussing. It was really interesting to listen to this in recent weeks as I finally put it together. What really struck me was the post-lockdown fatigue, which feels really present in our energy levels and discussion. But hey, I'll let you be the judge of that. Anyway, special thanks to my new friend Georgia for recently reminding me that we do have some listeners out there and for inspiring me to finally get this episode finished in the editing room. Sarah and I will hopefully be back soon with some more up-to-date books to recommend to you all and in the meantime, enjoy listening. Hello and welcome back to What Are You Reading, the podcast where we talk about books. Before we get into that, though, we would, as always, like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Storytelling has always been a part of this land, and we are so privileged and happy to be talking about stories today. Just a quick trigger warning before we jump on in, some dark themes in these books that we're discussing today. So uh, if you find domestic violence, sexual violence, murder hate crimes triggering maybe skip this ep it's been a little while between (laughs) drinks yeah hasn't it or between books should we say yeah how are you though what's been happening i'm pretty good um uh yeah i'm good that's how i answer everybody who asks me that question (laughs) right now i'm good hesitate no yes no yeah definitely good how are you really uh yeah, I'm good. I'm on holidays now, officially, for the year. Um, it's sort of my first time in a quote-unquote full-time job where I get paid holidays at the end of the year. So I'm very excited about that, to have a little bit of time off and to enjoy summer, which that's, I love so much. And that's amazing. That's I feel like that's such an achievement that should be acknowledged that you actually have a full-time job, that you now get to have a paid yeah, paid a paid break from I don't know how full time jobs work, but that's really cool. So yeah. congrats, you worked so hard all year. So proud of you. Thanks. Love working with you. Likewise, uh, yes. Yeah, thank you. And how are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm. I keep saying mushy. My brain is pretty mushy post lockdown. I feel very all over the place. I'm trying to balance a bunch of jobs right now, which I love Mm. doing, but then I'm just finding that I'm a bit mushy in my head. When I get home, I do not have any energy to do anything on my to-do list. So I feel a bit like my brain is just in a bit of a fog. It's working at 20% capacity. So aside from that, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I also think that it's, it's probably worth acknowledging that it's been a pretty fucked up year and a half too. Two. Let's just call two. it two. Yeah. Um. So, feeling mushy is very valid. I think so. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. And just I'm just being gentle on myself. Like I keep turning up to things on the wrong days. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you this already, but I I turned up to an appointment a week early, 
and now I live much further away than I used to to all of my appointments. So it it was a bit of a punch in the gut to myself, mm-hmm. and I keep turning up at the uh, for like my PT sessions at the wrong time. It's yeah, it's just kind of that that scattered brain. It's trying to keep up, but it can't kind yeah. of thing. I wish that I could gift you half of my holidays so that you could also have some time to relax and unwind. Oh, thank you. (laughs) No, you keep it. I want you to have it. That's very kind. (laughs) You are in my home today. Yes, Yes. that's right. We are back face-to-face recording in person. Um, So thanks for trekking up to the north. It's great to have you here. Happy to be here. Happy to see your new place. It looks great, folks. There's beautiful plants everywhere. There's color-coded books everywhere. There's instruments. There's a bit of all the good stuff. And importantly, there's now a dog. Yes. Tell us about your dog. <laughs> so I got a dog in October. His name is George. He's a Bordoodle. His dad <laughs> is a mini poodle <laughs> and his mum's a Border Collie. And he is just the light in my life. Um, and he's, how old is he? He's about 16 weeks, I think tomorrow. And he is a little ball of energy, except for when he's asleep. And yeah, he's trying to eat Jess's dress on the way in and oh, yeah. jumping up and down a little bit. So, you know, some behavioral stuff that we'll work through as he gets older, but yeah, he's, he's just cherub. He forced me to flash Sarah and Dave against my will, but that's okay. We're all friends here. We are. We love, we love you for it. <laughs> He is so fluffy and gorgeous. I'm actually not a dog person, but I I love him. He's so lovely. I like patting him. I don't even mind him licking me, usually with (laughs) dogs, because I didn't grow up with them. So to me, dogs are kind of, oh, dirty. I must wash my hands. Mm -hmm. But he's he just feels so clean, which is such a stupid, lame thing to say about a dog, but that's me. On Sunday, I went to my uncle's house and um, one of my uncle's also has poodles and George's coloring is I'm not sure what the actual term for it is but he's white and he's got some sort of browny orangey beigey kind of patches yeah. uh, and my uncle uh, asked if I had cleaned him because he thought he looked dirty you know I think maybe he thought he was supposed to be white all over <laughs> But he was so cute and, you know, kind of patchy and he's got some darker patches on his back. And, um, yeah, so he's like, did you forget to wash him? Like, no, that's just his fur. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, it's like caramelly. Yeah, that's a good good way to that's, describe yeah. it. Like a Jersey caramel. Yeah. Exciting things all around. <laughs> uh, so today, this this episode is all about part two of our Melbourne Writers Festival book list. Last time we were talking about our fiction reads. This time we are going to tackle our non-fiction reads. But before we get into that, a little bit more about how, we, how we've been lately and where we are. As Sarah said, we're sitting in her place today. Uh, and so I'm sitting across from Sarah at a desk right now. She's wearing a black and white checkered top. She's got her brown hair clipped back with some little clear butterfly clips. They're very cute. She's got a headset on with a little mic coming around the side. I love it. It's like a little pilot. (laughs) She's got a silver necklace on with a little knot through it by the looks of it. Mm -hmm. And behind her is a doorway and then a cage in the doorway keeping sweet little George out. And that's what's in front of me today. 
And what I can see on the other side of this long black desk is Jess sitting with a headset on. Jess's hair is tied back in a bun, I believe. Oh no, with a with a clip. Oh, beautiful green. What is that? What is that called? A butterfly clip. I actually don't know what don't you know. call those. It's at the back anyway, and it's probably about eight centimeters long. Um, and uh, Jess is wearing a black and white checkered. A diagonal checkered dress with sleeves and a round neckline um, with a headset on and then a sort of separate mic coming on a long mic stand at around Jess's mouth height. Um, and behind Jess is a window, a little bit of David's um, gear and equipment, an amp, a lamp, a white stripes poster and a plant that I repotted yesterday. Um, yeah, I love that. Sarah has a huge collection of green pots in her house, which is great because I just brought her some more and I'm so glad that they match. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) They're perfect. I love them. (laughs) And what would you say is the epigraph of your week? Well, I've gone with a bit of a summer theme. It's not that hot today, but it has been. So mine's a simple one this week. Oh, she's warm. By William Shakespeare. (laughs) That's the simple. (laughs) I love that he said that. I know. What play is that from? No idea. (laughs) The book I'm currently reading is Summer by Ali Smith. Mm. And it's one of four epigraphs in that book. Ah, Four? Five. Perfect. What's yours? Mine actually is also a Shakespeare it kind of it kind of represents what it's like working in retail at this time of year. Okay. The rudeness that have appeared in me have I learned in my entertainment. Hmm. All right. Yep. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Just a shout out for the retail workers. <laughs> yeah. Um, braving it post COVID <laughs> and at Christmas time. You're doing God's work. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the dramatic climax of your week or since I last saw you or if you're mourning? This is a tough one for me to answer every single time. I know it's coming <laughs> and I am never prepared. Um, I don't really know. It's not very dramatic, but I had to wrap David's Christmas presents while he was in the house and trying to, to do it in secret. I just said presents, plural. He knows about one thing, but um, the other things are a surprise, so I better keep my voice down so he doesn't hear because he's downstairs. He's creeping on us. Uh, so, so yeah, like, I just had to be a little, um, you know, spy and be very uh, discreet yeah. about removing them from their hiding place <laughs> and then getting the wrapping paper out and getting them wrapped up Tom and Cruise putting them style. back into their hiding place. <laughs> He'll never know. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. this room. No. Oh. No, they're in the bookshelves. Oh. There's cupboards underneath the bookshelves. That's ah, oh, that's like some Harry Potter shit, like hiding stuff in the bookshelves. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Great. What about yours? <laughs> uh, this actually happened on the way over here. Mm-hmm. I stopped in at a store to grab a couple of gifts. <laughs> if I don't laugh, I'll cry. And then the as I was standing at the counter, she was wrapping my gifts for me. And she was saying, oh, are you working over Christmas? I said, yeah. 
retail as well and she, and she goes oh I suppose since you're pregnant you want to work <gasps> now as much as you can before you can't work anymore right and I, I truly swear in those few seconds while she kept talking after she said pregnant <laughs> in my head I it, I lived a thousand years I was like do I tell it do I do I go with it I'll probably come back to this store because I really liked it until now so I can't I can't lie um do I keep up the charade what do I do but then I kind of she stopped talking and I kind of was still thinking. And then I just kind of said, yeah, well, I'm not pregnant, but yet. And she <gasps> just died. She was so apologetic. She was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know why I said that. I'm not wearing my glasses. I was like, honey, you, you can't save this. No. Glasses or no glasses. The damage is done. me fat. <laughs> And then this other customer who was kind of nearby as well um, wanted to get on, in on the action. She was like, oh, you don't look pregnant at all. It's like, cool, thanks. Great. And I had to stand there while she kept wrapping my presents. And I, she started sweating and fanning herself. <laughs> oh, this poor lady. Maybe she'll give me a discount. She didn't. Oh. Um, and then she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, like, I never assume that about people and just kept apologizing. Um, so that was, that was, um, that was my day. So, yeah, I look pregnant. That's not the first time that's happened to me in a Gorman dress. So, yeah, it's just becoming a thing now. When I think of Gorman dresses, I do think about them as being very flowy and oversized. And I used to work in Hospo and one of our regulars, when she genuinely was pregnant, often wore Gorman dresses. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's a maternity wear of choice for many women. I think it is. I think it is because the actual maternity stores are disgusting and they have names like Fripe, which my pregnant friends are like, why would I want Ew. to buy clothes from a store that's calling me Ripe? But um, yeah, I, I, I could see she felt so bad. So I threw her a bone. I was like, hey, look, I, I work at Gorman. This is a Gorman dress. It's not the first time it's happened to me while wearing one. It's the style. Don't worry about it. That is so big of you. Oh, thank you. Well done. It's not how I felt inside, (laughs) but I would never take anything out on a retail worker. But um, I was hoping she'd give me a discount at least to like console my soul. But no, no, no discount. Um, Yeah. And I I kind of like crying in the car after, but also not enough to actually cry. That's massive. Um, (laughs) Firstly, I'm sorry that that happened. Thank you. That sucks. You can always commiserate with me. Do you have any acknowledgements to make? Yes, I do. Is it weird if I acknowledge my dog? No, no. I just have to say that I feel like my mental health has been really good since getting the dog. Um, I'm in the fortunate position when I am working, when I'm not working from home, that I can take him with me. And sometimes work's fine and sometimes it's, you know, a bit challenging or whatever. Sometimes I'm not in a very good headspace, but having the dog there just to, you know, have a little cuddle, to have to think about something else's needs for a moment really puts my work bullshit in perspective if it's not great mm. for any particular reason. Um, and yeah, I'm just loving, I'm loving being George's human parent because he's awesome and, um, for all his like annoying little behavioral puppy things, there's so many more things that are really beautiful and funny and joyful <laughs> and cute that mm. I just, yeah, I feel like my heart's expanded in oh, the last few months. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So shout out to George for being the best dog in the whole wide world. Um, and yeah, I love him. I'm sorry that I'm not shutting up about him, but he's just the best. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's so nice how a pet can do that for you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to America. Have you been to America? No. So when I was there a few years ago in uh, Portland specifically, our host we were staying with was saying, oh, yeah, it's normal. Everyone takes their dogs to work here. It's just a thing. It's just a oh. a general thing that you can bring your dogs to work. Wow. And because they've done so many studies that show that that, increase, that, that <laughs> decreases anxiety and increases productivity and I think that's so cool. I, hopefully in the future that starts to become more of a thing here. Yeah. Well, I recommend it for anyone that's listening that is in the position where that's a possibility if you have a pet. Big responsibility, getting a pet. Definitely don't go into that lightly. Um, but if you are in the position where it's possible, do it. It's great. It also forces me to step away from the computer and, you know, go outside and take the dog out to go to the toilet and mm. things like that. Little yeah. things that you, you might otherwise be glued to your screen for six hours straight. It's really nice to break that up a little bit. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Mm. Do you have any acknowledgements this week? Not really. I'm going to acknowledge a pet as well. Okay. So our mutual friend Leah dropped off her sweet little kitty Willow yesterday, whom we are watching for the next couple of weeks. Willow. And she's so sweet. She is quite shy and anxious at the moment, so she's been hiding under everything. Oh! But then when I, I got home late last night and I just sat down, she likes when you get down to her level, so you're mm-hmm. not big and tall and domineering. And then she just kind of came out and was just rubbing herself all over my face and shoulders and rolling all over the carpet. And, and she was so sweet. And then when we went to bed and the house was quiet, dark, she was locked out of our bedroom but had all the rest of the house i could just hear a little bell tinkling just all over the house just having a nice explore um she kept me up for a few hours (laughs) the little sound of a bell and then at about 2 a.m i heard her pause at the door kind of scraping to come in and she's got the tiniest little meow like (gasps) it's so cute so i got up and just played with her for a bit and then i had to lock her in the room so she couldn't come back to our room but oh she's so cute so i i second what you say about i like how a pet kind of makes you slow down and Mm -hmm. take time out from other things and just be with them that's really nice yeah yeah for sure i found it frustrating at first because i couldn't read (laughs) when we first got george i was finding it so hard to get any reading done because um in the mornings he's this big ball of energy and he wants to play and we walk him in the mornings and we walk him in the evenings and um, he's just, that's when he's most chaotic both of those times of the day (laughs) and that's also when I do most of my reading. So I found that my usual ritual ritual of um, eating breakfast and drinking my coffee on the armchair with my book was so interrupted because I sort of had to monitor what he was getting up to. But as he gets a bit older, he's sort of getting more familiar with our habits and is developing some that are a bit more compatible, which is great. Mm, clever. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of books, should we talk about some books? Hell yeah. Why don't we start with something that I know we've both read? Um, I don't know about you, but I loved this book. Let's see. The Mother Wound. 
yes. by Amani Haider. Yes. 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 Yeah. 2021 memoir by an Australian Lebanese author uh, detailing this, the uh, recounting the events that led up to her father murdering her mother and then the court trial. So read this if you liked Eggshell Skull. I think just read this full stop. I love, love, loved this book. Amani is so intelligent. I've been able to, I've been at a few different events online that she's been a speaker at. So I've actually heard her speak on numerous occasions about her book and her life and her work. And I just think that she's a really amazing person to have lived through the traumas that she's lived through and to come out, I'm not going to say the other side because it never really ends, but to sort of work through that and develop this incredible body of work and and to be able to speak about it so eloquently and specifically and to recount a story in such a relatable way to little old me who whose parents are all alive and you know <laughs> there's no sort of murders in the family that I'm aware of <laughs> yeah. so yeah I mean just yeah she's just incredible yeah I loved the balance of or the mix that she was a lawyer and then started pursuing her creative side more mm-hmm. and used that to honor her mother and her grandmother who'd also had a um, a very traumatic death uh, back in Lebanon and it was it was kind of unbelievable to read that this happened but yeah she, that she was able to write about it so eloquently after yeah what she went through she threads like this really beautiful narrative between her experience in the present sort of moment with her grandmother's death in Lebanon, which happened, it was sort of an act of warfare that ended up um, killing her grandmother that her mother was alive for, but then drawing that traumatic event back into the sort of more recent traumatic event, which being the death of her mother or the murder, I should say. It's such dark subject matter, but it's done in such a way that is kind of refreshing. Mm. I feel a bit awkward describing it in that way, but it sort of is. I think because she's looking back on it mm. the whole way through is how I is how I experienced it, that we weren't reliving it with her, that she was recounting it from more from memory and uh, through the haze of being pregnant herself. And yes. There was such a strong theme of maternity and motherhood in this book, which I feel like has been the theme of the year in so many books. We've already spoken about so many things I've read and it was really beautifully told. And, uh, I, yeah, I just could not even envision what it would have, what it would be like to experience that. And then the way that the rest of her extended family reacted to the court case and then kind of, uh, the cultural and religious aspects that affected their behaviour as well and also the racism that the family copped in mm-hmm. Australia because of who they were as a family as well. There, there were so many elements to this. And the portrayals in the media didn't help with that Yeah, either. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. I love true crime and listen to true crime podcasts all the time. And um, there was an element of if if you like true crime sort of stuff, there there's definitely appeal in this by just because of the sort of court case, family complications, family loyalties. That aspect of the book is a good hook <laughs> yeah. for, for the true crime fans. Yes. And I think speaking of another book that we might get to later, I read this quite closely together with see what you made me do mm. by Jess Hill. Mm-hmm. And that, that hideous misogynistic thing of uh, a man feeling that he can take revenge on a woman, his partner, his wife, whoever, if she wants to leave him, that, that level of ownership over another human being was such a prevalent thing in both of those books that was just so hideous and mm. oh, left me feeling just so sickened and sad. Yeah. Yeah. Should we segue into see what you made me do since we're on the topic? Yeah, I think so. So this, yeah, that's a, actually a really good pairing. A heavy pairing, but a good pairing. Indeed. See What You Made Me Do is written by Jess Hill. Um, it's like academic nonfiction, I suppose, meeting investigative journalism in a way. Um, so I think there's sort of case studies throughout the book with some different stories. So Amani Haydar's The Mother Wound is Amani's story, first and foremost, and sort of purely and all comes through Amani's point of view and perspective and lived experience whereas Jess Hill in See What You Made Me Do is writing as somebody who has not experienced domestic abuse and there's a really great note at the top of the book about the choice of words domestic abuse versus domestic violence um, because domestic abuse is not always physically violent Mm. and there's not always um physical evidence of it it can take so many different forms um that was really eye-opening for me reading that and heartbreaking yeah um because you know thinking about objectively thinking about domestic violence you think about or i think about a man hitting a woman or leaving a bruise or something like that or drawing blood or whatever but it's not always as black and white as that it can Mm. be so much more complex Yeah, and I I was surprised at the start to learn that Jess wasn't herself a quote-unquote victim of domestic violence or abuse. I thought, oh, that's interesting that she's written this book about it that's done so incredibly well and been turned into a mini-series, I think, or a documentary on ABC. I haven't watched it, but it's it's out there. I think like a six-part mini-docu-series. Interesting. But perhaps uh, it's, it's, first of all, you know, great. She wanted to write about this subject in so much depth and detail. And I suppose having not experienced it herself, maybe that slight level of removal allowed her to explore the topic with the depth that it needed mm. without it being too traumatic or triggering for her mm. as, as the person studying it. Yeah. Well, she did a great job researching it. It was so thorough. Yeah. I had to read it in chunks. I couldn't get through it quickly. Um, yeah, it took, it took me a little while to work my way through it just because it is so heavy and heartbreaking. 
And something that has stuck with me is the fact that victims of domestic abuse on average go back to their partners eight times Mm. before being able to leave for good, Mm. which is quite alarming and upsetting. Um, And I think the abuse cycle is really interesting. I think previously before reading this book, I sort of possessed this attitude that was like, oh, just leave, just leave, knowing full well that, you know, it's not that simple and there are lots of different factors. But I think I've found myself having a little bit more empathy for Mm. people that are in these sorts of relationships that are toxic and abusive because it is hard to leave. Yeah. And it's so, so easy to get sucked back in. Yeah. And it's great that you bring that up because I I was going to say, if that's something that you've ever thought or you know someone that has that that uh, attitude of, oh, why don't they just leave, which I agree, if you haven't experienced it yourself, can be hard to wrap your head around. But I think the book really talked about that a lot, why there are so many different reasons people don't leave, that, um, you know, financial stability or security or home security or food security, so many things, children uh, threats of violence, so many different reasons. And mm. I think in that way, it was really eye-opening mm. as a reader as well, who has been very lucky enough not to experience physical abuse. Yes. It, it did also bring up for me, though, it kind of made me realise my one of my past relationships was emotionally abusive huh. in a way that I had always been kind of aware of, but it was my high school relationship. Yeah. So, you know, you tend to write off any high school teenage relationship is oh it doesn't really count it's it's whatever but it was a long-term relationship that was pretty emotionally abusive that's really interesting that you say that you know it's a high school relationship but some of the the people that experience this would still be in their high school relationship and have never been able to break that cycle yeah yeah so I I wouldn't be so quick to write it off Mm. it's very valid Mm, and it's great that you've been able to recognize that yeah, I look back now at some of the messed up things that he would do or say to me and I can't believe it. And it is that thing of, oh my God, why did I, why didn't I leave it then? But you, from my perspective or experience at least, it was like, oh, but I love, I love him. I want to, I can help him. He needs me. And I think as human beings who are very empathetic and we get, a validation from other human beings very often uh it does feel good to be needed but also that's that's really unhealthy as well yeah for sure i think that the he needs my help i can fix him is so common yeah because i've had a relationship like that in the past if only he would let me in just enough so that i could help him and mm. help him to see how amazing he is or what whatever the situation is mm. the specificity is for anyone listening it's i i don't know what in the media <laughs> tells us that that is our job to do I, I yeah but it's prevalent i agree i think it's rom-coms and movies that make us think that relationships should ideally be passionate and up and down and intense and dramatic. Whereas I think you would agree our now very happy, probably forever relationships are stable and 
kind and peaceful. They're not intense and full of up and downs and make sure maybe little waves or whatever. Don't want to speak for you, but I think that movies, the film industry has made us think that that's what we should want. Where really that's just someone who doesn't respect you. That's the word that's on the tip of my tongue right now is that respect is something that's in my relationship now with David that hasn't been in uh, certainly not recent previous relationships. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I, so I work with quite a lot of uh, younger, younger ladies, like early twenties. And when they talk about their guy problems, and I know I used to be just like that when I was that age too. So I totally get it. But it's like, they don't respect you. They absolutely do not respect you. And I just, I hope when you have had a good relationship, you never go back to a bad one. Because that's Mm. how I felt like it took a good relationship with someone who treated me with kindness and respect Mm. for me to see what I was missing. Yeah. And even if this one doesn't work out, I will never let myself be treated badly again. Yeah. Though that is easier said than done. Of course. Of course. But you have a foundation now with which to leap off from so to speak yeah if the time comes where that has to happen yeah and you know it's uh I know it's JK Rowling is not really uh in favorable terms these days but pretty sure there it was actually coined Draco Malfoy syndrome this idea of people wanting to change a bad a bad boy hmm I I swear that's a thing Draco Malfoy syndrome because everyone fell in love with Draco Malfoy you know the the dark, tortured soul who was a terrible person, but, you know, I'll be the one to change him. Yeah. So literary nerds, have a look into that. It's the bad boy thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, Bullshit. Do you know what? And I think this book, See What You Made Me Do by Jess Hill, is the target market for this is 100% women. But I think that it's required reading for men in particular. Yeah, yeah. Because... There would be so many people that are on this spectrum of domestic abuse without realizing it. Yes. And I think that the sort of more or the less visible abuses are the ones that potentially can be more dangerous in that there's an entrapment involved. Yeah. Um, and friends and family can't see the abuse necessarily. But I think that it would be very, very good for every Australian and people worldwide to read this book and see what resonates with them Mm. um, and what behaviors they can then possibly change Mm -hmm. to be better partners. Yeah. And fathers. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Signs to look out for in friends and family. And yeah, for sure. I agree. I do just want to say one more thing before we move on. Oh yeah, please do. Um, This book reminds me so much of a series that I watched recently on Netflix called Made. Have you seen it? No, not yet. It's great. It's awesome. Heavy watching, heavy content, but this sort of actions, so many of the examples used in the book, it's American, so it's slightly different because See What You Made Me Do is very much Australian, but um, the behaviors and cycles and similarities are all there. I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, I recommend it, but yeah, maybe when you're in a good headspace. Okay. I found it. Very hard to watch. It was very triggering for me. Mm, But still, even so, I still recommend it. Okay. Mm. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's move on. Is there anything on this list that's a bit more light? (laughs) 
Um, they're all pretty heavy, aren't they? They're all a bit heavy today, aren't they? Why don't we move on to The First Time I Thought I Was Dying by Sarah Walker. Mm. Sarah Walker is a multidisciplinary artist. Um, Not sure if Sarah's still based in Melbourne, but uh, certainly I've seen some of Sarah's photography work around the Melbourne theatre scene. So this is the same Sarah? It is the same Sarah. I wasn't sure. Yes. Wow. I follow Sarah on Instagram uh, and Sarah's a photographer. I'm a photographer too, so there's a little bit in common there. But when I saw that this book was available for pre-order, I got on it immediately. And so I got sent um, a copy in August when it was released and read it, I think in two days flat or something like that. I loved it. So it's a collection of essays, essentially. Um, And it's kind of, I suppose it's kind of themed in a really subtle sort of way. Because each of the essays are quite different, but some commonalities between them are mind and body Mm. and perceptions of those things. So it's there's a little bit of a a homage to live performance and theatre in there. So um, Sarah's background in theatre, writing and performance and photography is... Uh, acknowledged, but it's good a good one for the drama kids and the theatre nerds uh, in the audience listening right now. You will like it if you like those <laughs> things. Um, but they, there's also some sort of collective themes of grief, religion, self-harm, a little bit of mental illness stuff in there. Body image plays a big part and the use of Photoshop mm. um, and a little bit of death. So... It's certainly not light, but um, I think the sort of semi-short form structure of the essays mean that you're not in a dark pit for too long yeah. and you can kind of cleanse the palate with a new <laughs> essay or, you know, just do short stints depending on how you like to read. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah. But I guess one of my biggest takeaways from this was some of Sarah's writing about body image because it was so good. I wrote a sentence down here that I want to share with you. A body that acknowledges and delights in its own complexity is hard to market to. Mm, Can you say that again? A body that acknowledges and delights in its own complexity is hard to market to. Mm. I think Mm -hmm. about advertising and how I am a consumer on an app like Instagram, for example, and I scroll and scroll and every second post or story is an ad about something and how often I actually click through to those ads and it's more often than I care to admit. If I was harder to market to, then I might not be so insecure about every little thing that I dislike about myself and my body. Yeah, that is such an interesting quote because it's so true that advertising focuses in on our flaws and our fears rather than... Improving our life in a in a positive, like good vibes only way. It's all about oh, get rid of those wrinkles, get yeah. rid of that fat, get rid of everything about yourself. You don't look like this, therefore you are wrong. Yeah. Why not celebrate this thing that's different about you? Yeah. Because you don't look like everybody else. Yeah. I love that. It's so hard for me to in sort of theory and on paper, I can be quite good about my attitude towards body image and stuff but in practice the things that 
I say to myself in my mind are so brutal and like ridiculous when I say them out loud sometimes if David's in earshot he's like what yeah what yeah is that seriously what you think it's like oh okay yeah cool maybe that's a bit misguided yeah (laughs) um but yeah anyway this book ticked that box a thousand times for me Mm. because it just came at a good time I read it in August we were in another lockdown I always find that a bit depressing and not having physical activity that so drives me and so good for my mental and physical health kind of just makes me spiral a little bit so it came at a good time for me to read that Mm. um yeah that was my big takeaway but Mm. there's so much good in it and tell me do you like watching videos of things like pimple popping and skin peeling and things like that People probably think I would say yes to that considering some of my ASMR tastes, but I actually don't like that. Okay. Is there, do you? Well, yeah, I do to a degree, (laughs) but this, there's one particular essay that just as I was reading it, I almost wanted to stop reading it so that I could remove myself and go and look up some pimple popping videos. It just, it just sort of press this button for me <laughs> I kept reading it and I watched the pimple videos afterwards but <laughs> there was something that would it I don't know this happened a few times in several of the essays where I just wanted to like get moving and take action immediately I know that feeling I so know that feeling yeah mm. I think because I'm a skin picker I confess so probably I would read it and just go and pick up my own skin mm-hmm. <laughs> not mm-hmm. watch videos but I know that like that itch that you can't scratch kind of feeling. I'm yeah. home alone in the house. I must do something forbidden. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Anyway, it's great. It's great. It's short. It's easy to read, but it's beautifully written at mm. the same time. The imagery is great. There's some photography dotted throughout each chapter has its own accompanying image. Cool. Um, it's really beautiful. And I recommend reading it for multiple reasons because it's good being the first reason. And the second reason to support a local Victorian-based artist yeah, is the second reason. And, yeah, that's that's the first time I thought I was dying by Sarah Walker. Go and check it out. <laughs> well, speaking of someone that nearly cried today because a woman called me pregnant, I think I should read that book. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. But the title really speaks to me as well. As soon as I saw, I saw that cover and that title – I thought, yeah, that's what I would want to call my book if I ever wrote a book. I think that speaks to maybe an anxious, fixated type of personality quite well. So, Mm. yeah, speaks to me already. Can't wait to read it. Well, shall we then move on to a book which I'm not sure if you've read called Phosphorescence? I have not read Phosphorescence. Oh, full title. Phosphorescence on awe, wonder, and things that sustain you when the world goes dark by Julia Baird. That's a great title. Yeah. Tell me more. So not to be confused with First We Make the Beast Beautiful by by Sarah Sarah Wilson, Wilson, who is also I Quit Sugar Lady. They have very similar colors um, on on the front cover, kind of navy background, sea creatures, kind of shiny. Phosphorescence, I feel like maybe has jellyfish on it, though. So this is, I suppose, non-fiction slash memoir slash self-help, but 
not too obnoxious in the self-help department. Okay. But Julia is talking about her own health. She came down, came down with cancer. That's not what you say. But she was diagnosed. She was diagnosed <laughs> with a pretty, pretty bad illness. And as part of her recovery, turned to nature a lot of the way. As well as proper medicine. You cannot cure your cancer just with nature. Thanks for clarifying. It's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> but what's stuck with me about this are the really interesting studies that have been done around what spending time in nature does for your brain and your anxiety and your body. And even just spending half an hour sitting in nature a week can do amazing things for your stress levels and your body and your physicality and your health. And I think I read this quite at the start of the year when I had just gone away for a weekend in the country Mm -hmm. and I just, and everything she was saying, I just thought, yes, absolutely. And we, I think we're so used to so, so much stimulation that the thought of just sitting and watching a tree is so weird, but Mm. it made me want to do that more. She also talks a lot about what I want to say is called tree therapy, which started in Japan and it's just what it sounds like that they take a group of you out and you sit with trees and that's a way of having therapy with yourself. And I love that. That sounds delightful. I know. Sounds so good. Can I quickly interject here because this is reminding me of a book that's not on the Melbourne Writers Festival list, but should be, um, that I read recently called Care by Brooke McCallery. I've talked about Brooke's work on the pod before, um, but it is great and, yeah, does talk about noticing things in nature. And I've been conscious of that because I read it quite recently. Yesterday I walked the dog to the creek near my house or a few kilometers away from my house and we just sat on the grass for about 20 minutes I reckon we played a little bit of fetch but sat there for quite a significant amount of time no headphones no distractions just sitting and it was so nice Mm. so I'm feeling calm already just having you talk about this yeah to me actually speaking of that As part of Melbourne Fringe, which was on recently, there was a show called Tree Confessions and Mm -hmm. it was just audio and all you had to do was put your headphones in and lie under a tree and it was all these people talking as if they were the trees. Wow. And that was such a lovely way to spend time in nature. And there was another immersive show that James and I did together but separately called A Rain Walk Uh and again, audio. And the instructions were wait for it to be raining then take yourself out and listen to this while you walk around in the rain. And so we just walked the streets. It was pouring. We got so wet under our umbrellas. Regardless, we got so wet and just listened to these kids talking about what the rain means to them for an hour. Wow. And it was so lovely. So I feel like that's definitely been a positive of the second half of this year, spending more time slowing down. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So Julia Baird is quite well known. She's an Australian, a white Australian author and journalist, though she lived in New York for quite some time as well. So uh, she did the New York Times column. Yeah, so she started writing and disclosed in the New York Times column that she was recovering from surgery from cancer. Her cancer recurred several years later, but she's still going strong. She, She was a pretty incredible woman. Would you recommend reading it? Yeah, I I listened to this, so okay. it was kind of a 
a bit of a, even though it had some tough themes, tough personal themes going on, it was still an uplifting read, mm-hmm. as the title would suggest, yep. about finding light in the dark. Yeah, great. That's right up my alley. I love those sort of self-help books that kind of get you thinking after the book has been closed about stuff beyond yourself. Yeah. I really, I don't know what that genre is necessarily, but for some reason at the moment that those just get me every single time. Mm, That's what's speaking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you about another book Mm -hmm. on the list? This one is called My Year of Living Vulnerably by Rick Morton. Have you read this one? No. I love Rick Morton. Let me just start by saying that. And also, I read this very soon after reading another of Rick's books called 100 Years of Dirt, which is a memoir, both nonfiction, well, both memoir, I suppose. What's the difference really between memoir and nonfiction? Oh, so a mem, because I was wondering this myself about an autobiography versus a memoir. Yep. A memoir is kind of when someone's not telling you their full life story from A to Z, but more delving back into certain moments or memories from it. Great. Okay. Memoirs. There we go. (laughs) Cool. So my year of living vulnerably, if you've seen the cover, you would not be forgetting it anytime soon because it's beautiful. It's like pink and orange. It's got like some abstract sort of print situation going on and big bold sort of letters. So I just very quickly need to talk to you about 100 Years of Dirt first. Mm. I listened to them on Audible quite close together. Mm. So my lines might be a little bit blurred here, full disclosure. But I love Rick so much that after reading 100 Years of Dirt, I had to get my year of living vulnerably. I just wanted more. Mm. So 100 Years of Dirt uh, kind of chronicles... His childhood up until his time living in Sydney and working as a journalist. He lived on a farm as a kid in rural Queensland and, you know, had some some hectic sort of stuff happen around him. Not necessarily to him, I don't think, but lived through some stuff and witnessed some stuff. And... Yeah, he's now a gay man living in Sydney, working as a journalist. He works and contributes to the monthly magazine and also the 7am podcast, which is how I learned about him in the first place. So recommend that. If you don't listen to the 7am podcast already, please do. So informative. Anyway, so yes, uh, 100 Years Dirt is sort of his family history, his life, And some sort of major turning points for him. And then My Year of Living Vulnerably is, as the title suggests, about a year of Rick living vulnerably. Um, And it's about love and it's about trauma and specifically about his diagnosis with complex PTSD and then also about recovery. Mm. And it was quite a timely read because in it he's travelling in March 2020 and then has to come home because of COVID and then goes on this journey of, you know, looking, looking for love or finding love or experiencing love and engaging with that part of him that has been suppressed for a long time 
in a pandemic and in isolation and in all the elements that COVID, the ways that COVID make that more difficult. Mm. Um, so it's just qu- quite interesting. Rediscover love, I suppose, is yeah. is a bit of a catchphrase for it. But he's such a great writer and I encourage you to listen to the audio version because he's also got beautiful delivery and he's got such a unique voice that is just so Moorish. I feel like I could just listen to him narrate my thoughts. And I'm also very lucky to have seen him do a a sort of keynote speech at um, an online event that I was a guest at through work and hearing him speak kind of like Amani, as I mentioned earlier, was really awesome. And he did a bit of a reading from his book and just talked about it and his work and his life a little Mm. bit. I don't know if I've made you want to read this, but... No, I do. I want to listen to it, actually. Yeah, yeah it's it's really good. But I do recommend listening to 100 Years of Dirt first because so much of that is context for my year of living right. vulnerably. You okay. learn so much about him in that first book that informs the choices and the discoveries and revelations he makes in the second one. Does it have a self-helpy vibe of kind of this is how to live vulnerably or not at all? Not at all. Not at all. It's more like this is my experience and this is hard because of these reasons and this is what I've done to try and combat that. Right. So it's not preachy at all. It's just documenting, I suppose, his experience. I just poured myself a glass of water. Sorry, you probably all heard that. Um, Yeah, no, that sounds really good and I do love an audiobook that's a memoir that's narrated by the author oh same because you know their exact inflections and you know in some cases the emotion behind it and stuff as well yeah it's great well why don't i talk about another memoir that i loved this year this is probably my favorite that i read for the year this is black and blue a memoir of racism and resilience by veronica gorry have you read this yet? No, but I have your copy on my sure. shelf. Sure, yeah, yeah. I loved this. It was so, it was such a page turner. So Ronnie is a Kurnai woman. I hope that I pronounced that correctly. So she is Indigenous Australian. And she decided to become a police officer because she wanted to change the system from the inside and also help to show other indigenous people that not all police are bad. So I kind of wanted to be a bridging person. Awesome. But she kind of says from the start that she feels that she failed at that task and left, eventually leaves the force. Wow. Because she felt like she couldn't overcome the level of prejudice within the force. So it had that kind of similar feel to, if you've read emotional female, which I know you have the way that, uh, you want you want them to overcome the the system at the end, but they found that it was insurmountable for one person. It had a similar feel within the police force, whereas Emotional Female, if you haven't read it, set is set within the medical industry within Australia. So this was a, a tough read. Ronnie has had a huge life, mm-hmm. a very different life to a lot of other memoirs that I've read, but it was fascinating and it was full of family uh, and told in that yarn style in which a lot of Indigenous writers write, which was really kind of conversational and mm. and 
as if you're just sitting there having a conversation with them over a coffee, not that you're writing this irreverent story. Having a yarn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So part one is really kind of her upbringing. And it, so it really does go a lot into her life, her family, her parents, her grandparents, all of that. And then her becoming a police officer, really doing well as one, and then just not being able to continue it as she went on. But she spent, I think, a decade in the force. And so there were there was a lot of triggering, trigger warning, a lot of domestic violence and sexual abuse in this book. So it was... It was heavy, mm-hmm. but she never lingers in that. It was so entertaining to read. It was kind of devastating and made me really angry, but it was such a remarkable story of her life and I would read anything else that she wrote. Oh, I'm hooked. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to add this to my next read book list. You can. I think you can read it really quickly like it just it was really it was a page turner yeah right yeah it sounds like a really important book to read as well because you think I think about the way that you introduced the story this indigenous woman joining the police force with high hopes to change from the inside you go oh yeah great good yeah fuck yeah this is gonna be awesome and it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think, something good to be reminded about as, as white people that the police mean something very different to us that they do to other people. Yeah, 100%. So it was it was a good learning experience in that way as well, but also pretty devastating mm-hmm. um, to, to think that the police force, which most people think anyway, is, is so broken and corrupt it's it's really sad Mm. I love reading (laughs) so much because you can learn so much about other people's experiences and it can be so eye-opening and such a vehicle for empathy yeah where even just what we've revealed in this episode there's been so much expansion certainly for me for my prejudices and my opinions about certain things and my you know, thoughts that are fact because I have no evidence otherwise. There's been so much growth for me over this year just based on these few books we've mentioned. Yeah. I can't wait to read this one. Mm. Thank you for talking about it. Oh, I, I loved it. I, yeah, love, love, loved it. The other one that I have on my list is Who Gets to Be Smart. Oh, yeah. Who does get to be smart? Breely gets to be smart. <laughs> Breely is very smart. That was one of my first takeaways from this book uh, because <laughs> it's a very smart book and it's written in a way that I don't think would be accessible for every reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my first criticism of it. What a way to start. Um, but I thought that it was very interesting. You've read it too, haven't you? I have. I listened to this as okay. well, actually. Yeah. And I kind of have mixed feelings about it as well. I found this really interesting and really well researched. Yep. But I actually didn't so much enjoy her personal interjections into this nonfiction. Usually I I find the personal stories are what holds a book together, but I kind of didn't like them in this one. I don't feel that they overly served 
her purpose in the book. That so it's the the whole premise. If you haven't read it, is who gets to be smart, and she's really delving into uh, how how broken I suppose the uh, school systems are here. Uh, and everywhere and, and everywhere absolutely academia. yeah academia in general how it's skewed towards rich white men, men basically mostly. yeah uh, and able-bodied rich white men and she really does her research well and i i do appreciate that she's actually going out there and doing the work and advocating for people that don't look like her mm-hmm. and don't have the privilege to do it themselves but she interjects with a lot of personal accounts of times she felt stupid, but they, which were I think were meant to be relatable as the reader, but they didn't quite feel that way to me. It made me feel more stupid in some cases that, because I thought if that's what making if that's what is making you feel stupid, what would you then think of me? <laughs> I think that's what it is, though, because I think it was the tone of it was meant to be like, hey, I. I'm a lawyer, I'm an author, I am smart, yet I also feel stupid at times because the system has made us women feel that way, is maybe what it was intended to be, but instead it did come across a little bit like, oh, I can't speak French, I'm so sad. Yeah, I certainly clocked Bree's privilege um, early on in the book, but with that said, it was very eye-opening for me. I think... I could have predicted that the education system, certainly higher education and academia overseas, particularly in Oxford and New York, places like Harvard and and um, those uh, wealthy and elite academic institutions, I think that I could have predicted that there was – you know, corruption and nepotism involved in um, the acceptance process for anyone applying um, and somehow didn't equate that in my mind to any academic institution here in Australia. But learning that it exists everywhere to a degree it was quite interesting and eye-opening for me and that there's sort of almost like a cult uh, mm. of rich white political and religious figures running some, if not all, of the major institutions here in Australia um, as well. So that that was fascinating to me and a bit alarming also. Totally. And we kind of know it but don't examine it closely, the fact that, yeah, that our Prime Minister is a big part of the Hillsong Church and that's fine. You can have whatever religion you want but – just uh, how corrupt the relationship, and we know this from doing a tour of the Crucible and talking about it many a times, that there is meant to be a separation of church and state, yet it feels like here they're in each other's pockets, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how dangerous that is, and how much that's working against everyone but those few white men sitting there. Yeah. Yeah, it's the patriarchy in action. Yeah. It was a very intellectual book. so Very much so. Yeah, so you've got to be in the mood to absorb this one because a lot of it has not stuck in my brain. Just an Same. overall feeling of icky. <laughs> yeah, I think I really wanted to like this book because I liked Eggshell Skull so much. Liked maybe is not the right term, but I hold a reverence for that book. 
but I don't hold the reverence for this book in the same way. I think that the elitism that's discussed in relation to the world of academia is sort of seeped into this book in a way that isn't very nice um, for me as a reader. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that's deliberate. I still love Brie Lee. I follow Brie on Instagram and um, I'm signed up to her newsletter. So if you like her work, I recommend signing up. It's called News and Reviews and it's I've recommended it to you, Jess. It's awesome. And I still will read everything she writes because I love her perspective and she is so fucking smart. But I think that this book just maybe is not going to work for everyone. Yeah, I think it's dry. I think that's what it is, that it's it's not like Eggshell Skull. And I, I loved Eggshell Skull as well. So I think a lot of people would probably pick up her next book going, oh, more Eggshell Skull. It's very different. It's yeah. very dry. The personal stories are coming from a different place. And for me, mm. they didn't quite work in this one. Yeah. That said, though, I agree. I, I love Brie. I love her writing. I'll definitely be interested in anything she comes out with next. And good on her for tackling a really uh difficult subject yeah i'm glad that i read it but i'm not in a hurry to pick it up again because i think that what she has to say is important and uh, maybe not anyone has quite considered it in the australian academic scene before maybe they have maybe that maybe that um, opinion shows my naivety on the subject but in any case, it brought me a lot of brand new information that I'm grateful for. Definitely. And I imagine when you do when you write your first book and it goes so well that there's so much pressure to keep producing the same book over and over totally. again. Totally. And good on her for doing something totally different and probably that she was passionate about and wanted to do uh, because we can't just write the same book over and over again. So good on her. But it also kind of made me want to go back to uni, which I think was not the point. <laughs> And I am. I haven't told you this, but I'm going back to uni next year. Oh my gosh, what are you studying? I'm studying a graduate certificate in digital communication strategy at RMIT. It's all online, but I'm super excited to get back into that studious mind. I think I make a very good student. I always want to do the right thing and get it right, which is not great as an actor because you can't. (laughs) So it'll be good to work that sort of analytical part of my brain again. I can see you being a good student, being really organized. Do you thrive when you're busy? Um, uh, y- yes. To an extent? To an extent. Yeah. I've, I've always been busy up until the pandemic. And I think since COVID hit, I've been able to take stock and prioritize my time and my commitments in a way that I never could before because mm-hmm. I just thought you had to hustle to get to have a good life and a full life. So I don't know how I'll go now with sort of slightly different priorities, mm. but we'll see. Probably better. I'm really glad that the hustle culture has finally had its downfall or that people are, are acknowledging now that it's not cool to hustle all the time. It's not cool to be busy all the time. So yeah, yeah I think I think you'll nail it with your priorities as they are. And that sounds great. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Yeah. I get to be smart, Brie. I do. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch my vocabulary grow, hopefully. Congrats, though. That's really cool. Thank you. What are you reading at the moment? 
I am reading a book called Summer by Ali Smith. It's part of a seasonal quartet. It's the most recently released one, but I have read them winter, spring, summer, and I've got autumn yet to read. And I've been weirdly reading them in the season that it is. Oh, cool. So I read winter in winter, spring in spring, summer in summer, and I'll read autumn in autumn. And Uh, were they they released to be read in a certain order or just whatever? No, I believe they can be read in any order. I think that there's some different sort of opinions out and about on the internet about which order you should read them in. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a Reddit thread somewhere buried deep in the internet that's like, no, you must read it like winter, autumn, summer, spring. I have no doubt that that exists somewhere. (laughs) And by that logic, summer being the most recently released one, you should read them in the order of publication, I guess, which I have not done uh, because I started with winter, not with autumn. So... But anyway, it doesn't matter. I love it. <laughs> I love them. They're great. They're so they're interconnected. They're kind of independent stories. So you could read them independently and never pick up another book in the quartet <laughs> and still enjoy it. But they're so odd and well-written and amazing. And I haven't read anything by Ali Smith before, but I would like to read her entire, what's it called? Body of work, bookography. Mm. What's that? So a musician oh, has a, a discography. discography, but what does a... Should we say body of work today? Body of work. Um, Ali Smith has so many books. So well done me for picking an author who has a massive back catalogue of stuff to dip into. You'll have to dedicate a whole year to get... Well, not you, but yeah. There's, no, there's but a probably lot of books. there's a lot of books. <laughs> Do you know what? And she, I like her in the same way that I like Helen Garner. She's just really fun and refreshing yeah cool there's a really clear voice there that's unlike anyone else i can currently think of Mm. Mm. oh that makes me want to read it Mm. for sure recommend what are you reading at the moment i've actually delved back into the outlander series by diana gabaldon i started it in 2014 and i read the first five and then i started full-time acting school and they dropped off yep. but I've always wanted to finish them so I've restarted book six from the start again I'm actually reading it and listening to it so I'll listen to it because I'm spending a lot of time in the car at the moment so mm-hmm. I'll listen to it and then I'll take over in the book when I'm at home because I can read faster than I can listen but I'm just I'm hooked again that's great so I'm currently reading number six is called a breath of snow and ashes and if you don't know much about the Outlander series, it's historical fiction, but based in uh, real world events. So the first one is set a lot around the um, the early wars in Scotland and Bonnie Prince Charles and a lot of historical figures that I didn't know much about. But having Scottish roots, I really like to learn about it. So I find it quite fun to read. And it's now they're in America, so it's the frontier people and... It's really different. It's kind of entertaining. They're really long. So it's kind of the minute details of every character's day are in this book. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it can dip. But I'm back in there and I'm going to read it. I'm sticking it out. How great. Is it kind of like Harry Potter for adults? Ooh, it's not. The first few are very action adventure very exciting. Mm -hmm. The TV series did really well the first few seasons. 
then I think they do take a bit of a dip in the middle and okay. it slows down. So the number five and six, yeah, yeah, I've probably read hundreds of pages and not much has happened, but you just really come to love the characters and no one puts their characters through more than I think Diana does. And that's really, it's quite shocking to read. If you, if you like the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, it's not Uh as dark, it's not as overtly dark as those, but the characters go through some shit. Mm. So there's something kind of seductive about kind of what will she dare to do with them. And it's across time, it's time travel, it's romantic, it's, it's wartime, it's a bit of everything. Cool. So I've, I've jumped back into that, weirdly. Great. How fun. Yeah. Do you have any holiday reads coming up that you want to? So many. So <laughs> many. My gosh. I've got a huge pile that you've given me. I am really excited to read a book called Circe. I just read The Song of Achilles. And speaking of historical fiction, based in in fact, I mean, you can't, how much can we say fact about like the Trojan War, really? <laughs> But it's about Achilles and his lover. Oh, his name has just escaped me. But uh, it's kind of written off in history or not as often portrayed in the movies and stuff that they people believe that Achilles was gay mm-hmm. and had um, Patrocles. That's his name. Patrocles, Patroclus, Patroclus. I don't know. Anyway, it was this beautiful love story between Achilles and Patroclus, and I loved, loved, loved it. Oh, that's on my list. That's one of my ones. I I don't own it yet, but I would like to purchase it very soon. Oh, my gosh. Read it. <laughs> Great summer read. It's sexy. It's thrilling. It's beautiful. It's got Greek mythology. Everything what you need. What more could you want? <laughs> what more could you want? Well, that seems like a great note to finish. Thanks for coming to my house and recording this episode. Thanks for having me. Thanks, listeners, for being there for us. I know we're not good at uh, keeping keeping a schedule, but if you're out there, I'm sure you're the same and have a great end of your 2021. And just a quick shout out to our jingle writer, James Kershaw, um, for writing our amazing jingle. Yes. And his music is on Instagram at pop.d.art. And we're also on Instagram now. You can find us at What Are You Reading Podcast. What are you? What are you? What are you reading? What are you reading? <laughs> See you next time. Bye. <laughs>